This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Metro Councilor Juan Carlos Gonzalez. Thanks for coming on and congrats on winning your election. Of course. Thank you for having me. Of course. So what exactly does a Metro Councilor do and why should the position matter to millennials? Absolutely. Uh, a Metro Councilor uh, serves on the regional government of the Portland metro area and essentially Metro oversees the land use, transportation, uh, solid waste and recycling planning for the Portland metro area. And I think the most exciting thing about being involved at Metro uh, right now is the fact that the Portland metro area is in a place where it's growing tremendously economically, the population's booming, and that presents serious challenges. But with that uh, opportunity to redefine the vision for the next 50 years of what Portland can look like and for whom. So um, I feel like uh, really, really (laughs) grateful and lucky to be in the role that I am right now. And what is your vision for your area? My vision is uh, leaving a Portland metro area that is affordable, that really uh, helps all communities have a place to call home. Like every other metro area, the Portland metro area is, a, is experiencing homelessness crisis. Um, so I think that uh, we were positioned to, to, uh, to serve our community. We just passed a $650 million affordable housing bond for the region. So we're tasked to invest that in the next five years. Um, I really want to invest in climate justice and to find ways to help transition our region into a clean energy future, clean energy jobs, clean energy industry clean energy transportation. So I think, I think we're at the heart of it. And that's what's really exciting. What exactly does climate justice mean to you? Climate justice to me means mitigating the impacts of climate change um, over the coming decades because uh, climate change is already causing impacts um, in terms of uh, flooding, in terms of rainfall. And uh, what we're seeing is that uh, infrastructure investments disproportionately impact low-income communities and communities of color. So I would like for the future, um, for there to be access to nature, for there to be mitigated impacts that we all share, um, but also opportunities for us to um, maintain our quality of life. And I think that there are a lot of different investments that we can make for folks to live in a 21st century Oregon. And could you tell us a little bit more about clean energy transportation? I would really like to see the Portland metro area take more and more strides toward active transportation options. Uh, I would really like for us to develop a strong network of regional trails, bike lanes, uh, bus rapid transit um, that helps to um, decrease our dependency on cars. Um, I, I think and I firmly believe that owning a car or not owning a car should be a barrier to participating in the economy. So what I want to see is I want to see the next generation of workers 
have the option to move across the region, whatever part of the region, not just the urban core downtown Portland, um, to be able to to move there in a way that uh, minimizes our carbon footprint, but also really maximizes how we get to engage with a park or a neighborhood. And that's the kind of vision that I would have for for the way that we move around in the future. And we hear a lot about affordable transportation from progressives. Something we see very little of is talk about free public transportation. Do you believe that that's something that is possible? I do believe that uh, public transportation can be free. I think it should be free. Uh, I think a lot of the obstacles that we face in public in public service and elected officials is obviously finding a way to pay for it. But I think decades ago, our, our country, we were able to finance the creation of, of major uh, freeways and highways across the country. I think that we can find ways to, to do that now. And I think in the Portland metro area, there's some interesting metrics about just paying fees and, and uh, the actual revenue that, that makes up in a transit agency's budget. Um, and it's a lot smaller than people would think. So finding different different revenue options to make that possible I think I think that we have the kind of political courage to to really uh, tackle that head-on so that might be something that the Portland metro area looks to embrace in the future and I would be really supportive of that and I also think that it makes sense um, to encourage that I mean Portland and Oregon we have a really unique land use system that looks to um, slow sprawl and really encourage compact development and vibrant communities. And um, a part of that is investing in heavy public transportation and active transportation options across the region to make sure people have options to not have to depend on the usage of a car. So it's exciting. Um, And I think that it's a part of the climate energy, the climate justice future that, that we envision. So I definitely support it. And on the federal level, we're seeing a lot of advocacy for what activists call a Green New Deal. What are your thoughts on this work? I think it's I think it's wonderful. I what I love the most about the Green New Deal is that uh, there are federal representatives that are looking to activate community voices and community interests and community organizing instead of uh, the usual entrenched special interest groups or lobbyists that play a role in DC. Um, But I think that the fact that we're bringing um, community voices, I know there's been several leaders from Portland, for example, that have recently visited with some congressional representatives. I think that's, that's special, that's unique. And hopefully it marks the type of leadership that millennials can bring to all levels of government. And do you believe that action on the Green New Deal can also be taken on a local level? I do think so. And I'm really excited that uh, Metro and the council and my colleagues that were actively exploring different ways for us to implement a local Green New Deal. Um, I'm not going to, it might not necessarily be named the Green New Deal, but uh, we're really interested in, in, in um, advancing our role in advancing climate justice and uh, making the investments we need for the future. Do you believe that state government is an ally to this climate justice agenda? Well, the state legislature is uh, is uh, in session right now for Oregon, and there's been uh, a few bills proposed. Um, I think that uh, it, it's going to re- it's going to be interesting to see where the rubber hits the road. 
We have some uh, cap and invest uh, legislation coming through. We have clean energy jobs legislation coming through. And we also have a Democratic supermajority. So I'm going to be really interested to see how um, the state's committees and the state leadership really um, work on the actual language of implementation and how it impacts um, different parts of the state, whether urban and rural, and, and helping transition us towards that clean energy future. So I think our expectation, our hope, um, I know that there are hundreds, if not thousands of millennial leaders that are really engaged in this work. And um, I, I feel positive. And how exactly does the council interact with state government? Uh, the council, um, as a regional government, we, uh, we work with our local state um, senators and representatives to advance policies that impact our region, essentially. We are, as a, as a unique uh, body of government, we don't necessarily interact with the state legislature like a city or a county would, but we do work with our cities and our counties and our state representatives to advance the, the kind of policies that we would see, that we would like to see at a state level or that impact us directly. So that's kind of how it works. Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government, and you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day, I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. And you are the youngest and first Latino member of the council. What does that mean to you? To be the first Latino and the youngest uh, member of the council is, um, is really significant to me. Um, I think about uh, the decades of work that leaders of color, that Latino leaders in Portland metro area have, have really embarked on, um, like I said, over the last few decades. And um, I... I feel like there's been so much effort put into uh, leadership in the private sector, the public sector for someone like me that was born and raised in Oregon and in the early 90s to have an opportunity to step into this leadership role. And um, I'm excited to be bringing uh, a lot of new perspectives, a new and unique style to what Metro and the council is usually accustomed to, and hopefully also to really mark and brand my style of leadership as being someone that is very uh, community oriented and that can channel his position and his his uh, his, his elected you know um, influence to bring as many community organized voices 
to the decision making table and create policies that that are hopefully as nuanced as we need them to be to achieve our equity outcomes in the region. And um, I, that that for me, there's there's no words to describe how lucky I feel uh, for all the support I've received. And now I just can't let anyone down. And when you say equity, what does that mean to you? How is that different from equality? Uh, to me, equity is uh, recognizing that different groups um, have different barriers and uh, to overcome, to access or experience certain aspects of society. And when we approach a policy, a policymaking framework with equity or a racial equity lens, for example, uh, you know, we 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 take into account um, uh, data disparities, et cetera, and acknowledge that there are different groups, um, demographics, et cetera, that experience the world differently and that those experiences um, lead to different obstacles and the policies that we make as a government and our responsibility as a governing body is to make as good and as flexible and as dynamic a policy to meet the needs of people now but also recognizing, I think, and I think the most important part is recognizing the history of systemic policies that have led to create the disparities that we that we see right now. So, good public policy, I think, in the modern in the modern era and moving forward in the future, doesn't necessarily look at communities or society as a as a as a single type of single brush or um, type of type of approach, but that we look at the needs of people and look to dismantle harmful practices of the past with restorative practices of the future. Could you tell us a little bit more about restorative practices? Uh, absolutely. Um, to me, restorative practices look to tackle the harmful effects of the past, let alone just addressing what's happening right now and trying to alleviate the the stresses that some people feel disproportionately. To me, restorative policies look to make significant investments in building the capacity of community groups, um, whether that's through investing in leadership, whether that's removing barriers to participating in uh, a committee or a board um, by offering financial uh, incentives, stipends, childcare, etc. But there's also, um, I think, um, much larger questions that we ask ourselves. Um, I think a restorative justice framework, you, you ask yourself a set of questions when you're putting a, a policy idea forward. So whether it's, uh, you know, how is this uh, impacting a historically disadvantaged group? Is this directly um, creating a benefit previously um, not present? Um, um, I think that's valuable. And I'll, and I'll make an example, and it's a bit theoretical um, because I haven't done any direct policy work since I'm relatively new. But for example, the history of Oregon's land use laws or the, the history of Oregon's constitution is this, the, the state of Oregon was founded as, a, as an all-white state, as an exclusionary state for um, black, uh, black African-Americans, um, uh, for uh, indigenous Native Americans and for other um, communities of color. Um, and the policies um, uh, essentially over the course of decades diverted land assets and wealth and, and intergenerational wealth and allowed only a specific amount of, of people to access real estate. Um, so uh, in, in the current era, we see huge inequities in 
and who's who holds land, um, who who primarily owns homes or home ownership, etc. Um, there's a interesting uh, research being done. For example, the color of law. The book is a book that I that I um, that I like to read, uh, and I think uh, paints a good picture about um, some policies that exist in the history that create an impact now. For example, we see that disproportionately at very high rates. Latino families, um, uh, African American families, etc., depend more on renting month to month. Um, they earn less per dollar. They have less wealth per dollar when compared to um, a white family. So that's kind of the the work that I that I that I think about. And you're clearly very community centered. You're focused on keeping in touch with the community. How will you do so in your time as a counselor? Well, what I really encourage for anyone that's looking to run for office or, or that wants to get involved with politics is I would really encourage people to um, try and reconnect with their community as much as as much as they can before they decide to run. Um, for me, that meant working for um, a community-based organization in Oregon, the oldest Latino organization in the state called Centro Cultural. Um, and, it's, and it's right in my hometown in Cornelius where I grew up. So uh, working at Centro for the last three years um, really gave me an opportunity to develop some authentic relationships, to learn a lot about my leadership style, to learn a lot about the challenges of grassroots organizing and of interacting with a government body. Um, so I'm hoping to, one, continue to develop those relationships, to be very present in the organizing that Centro does, but also to invest in organizations and community-based organizations across the region that do that work. Um, so that is one thing that I, that, that is one um, element in my political career that I hope to never lose. And I'm also trying to be as accessible as possible. I think another style that millennials bring is we're very accessible through Twitter, through Facebook. And um, uh, as the world, I guess, gets smaller with social media, that allows us to, to read more, to learn more, to interact more. And I know that I read and I try to respond to all of the social interactions and requests that people have of me. And um, I'm just also naturally a very um, uh, friendship and commu communication, face-to-face -face and phone and phone conversation um, type of individual. So I try to make time to really connect with people on a human level. Yeah, so that's that's my priority. And how can folks get in touch with you? So people can get in touch with me uh, uh, by following me on Twitter um, at JC Gonzalez uh, OR um, via email. You can find my email, my, my office, my phone number for my Metro role on OregonMetro.gov. Um, and uh, through Facebook, I, ha I, have a, I have an elected Facebook page, Juan Carlos Gonzalez. And uh, I also happen to have a website for my campaign that's still left over, gonzalezfororegon.com. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And we hope to get you on in the future to hear about all the progress you've made. All right. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck. I, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you want to hear more of the podcast, make sure to subscribe on iTunes. Tune into the Progressive Radio Network every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern and follow us on social media. Thanks for listening.